Hey there, Jordan Sheridan, live status coup. It is five o'clock, Tuesday, January 17th. I have not showered. Uh, I barely ate. Uh, It's been quite a day, quite a day of uh, newborn stuff and uh, working on my book. And uh, I got an offer from a publisher, but now potentially another offer. So good things, good things happening behind the scenes. Uh, but I didn't have uh, much time to present myself, so hopefully I look good. I just slapped some water on my face. Uh, big show, big show, big guests. Uh, we are going to continue on. If you don't know, uh, all the cards, all the deck is being stacked in Switzerland as we speak by the corporate elite in Davos. Uh, so we're going to get into um, Mansion and Cinema. Wait till you see this cartoon uh, villainous scene uh, between the two of them at uh, Davos in Switzerland. Also going to get into BlackRock's uh, CEO saying that they are being unfairly demonized. Uh, So get your punching bag. Uh, Also going to get into um, your retirement accounts. So if you are, you know, a little bit older watching or younger and theoretically paying into a retirement, uh, well, Wall Street uh, is looting it. And they are now signaling that they're going to come up with new creative ways to loot your retirement. And finally, uh, Sam Harris, who I don't think I've ever spoken about. He's kind of pseudo-intellectual, very polarizing figure. Uh, He said some stuff about COVID the other day that I found really tone deaf. And I feel like it kind of has gone into this general psychosis about COVID and the total disregard for human life. So we're going to react to that. But joining me now, Zaina Day. Uh, who was with us yesterday and will be with us uh, more often at Status Quo and making his triumphant return, Steve Grumbine of Real Progressives. Uh, he is the co-founder of Real Progressives. He hosts uh, Rogue, Rogue Scholar, Macaroni and Macro Cheese, and Cheese, a bunch <laughs> of other stuff. Tell people what the shirt means for Chiefs. Oh, man, I, I, I picked yellow and blue because I wanted to trick the yellow and blue flags out there. I think I was. Anyway, this is the Chiefs, man. This is the old Paul Newman from Slapshot. It's awesome. It's classic. Slapshot meaning a hockey movie. Hockey movie. Very much so. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Uh, so thanks for uh, joining me. And by the way, if you don't know, uh, Steve is still doing Let's Get Ready to Grumble. Uh, YouTube's been hiding that as well as most of this channel. So don't make sure if you didn't see it live, go back and watch it. Uh, Sundays, five o'clock Eastern. His last one is up on the channel now. Um, let's start in Switzerland. We're not breaking news about Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, but you have to, you have to give them respect. I at least give them respect that they don't have any shame, and they at this point are just flaunting their rank corruption uh, and taking it. Globally, uh, it remains to be seen if Manchin will run for re-election. Cinema, it seems, is going to run for re-election, and that's why she just became an independent because she probably knows she can't win a Democratic primary. But they were um, yesterday. We reported that they were meeting with you know who's who of the CEOs and billionaires at Davos. Well, today they were on um, a panel uh, flanked by billionaire CEOs. And uh, they literally did a high five. Uh, Let's take a look, Colin. Difference for the American people in the last two years. And we still don't agree on getting rid of the filibuster. That's correct. Thank you. I I was. was... (laughs) Couldn't zoom in there. 
but <laughs> they literally did a high five after uh, agreeing not to get rid of the filibuster. Uh, and they were flanked uh, by, th- looks like kind of four uh, billionaire CEOs next to them. And cinema, I don't know, I'm, uh, Colin, could you like zoom in on the bu- uh, video? I'm not really a fashion judge here, but she literally looks like Coella. Difference for the American people in the last two years. And we still don't agree. It's real fur, fake fur, uh, really, really unbecoming. Uh, Before we get to reaction, just the latest on these two and their corruption, uh, Joe Manchin's top aide uh, joins an oil and gas lobbying group. So this is recent. Uh, He joined the uh, Lance West, joined the American Petroleum Institute as vice president of federal affairs. So as Zena could tell you, because she's been in this world, it's not just the politicians that are cashing out. It's all of their aides that once they leave office after doing the bidding of uh, the fossil fuckers, uh, big pharma, big real estate, they then get cushy jobs at these places. Uh, before we get to the rest of Davos, uh, just your your two thoughts on uh, Man Cinema. Uh, high-fiving next to the billionaires about basically blocking any progress of this country. Granted, getting rid of the filibuster, there would probably still be excuses made why we can't do things, but it would be one step in the right direction to get rid of it. Go ahead, Zay. Me first? (laughs) Yes. I got a lot to say about no. Um, Honestly, every time that I see Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, I feel like um they're the rotating villains right they there's they sort of put themselves out there to take all the heat when all the other members of congress almost are exactly like them or of, of the senate you know are exactly like them house members too to be honest so you know when i see them doing things like high-fiving billionaires or joe manchin taking his photo ops with oil moguls um i know Paula Jean Swearingen told me that that just happened two days ago in west virginia right. um i think or a couple days ago in west virginia i think yeah this is just who kirsten cinema and joe manchin are i mean there's no shame anymore Unfortunately, people say, well, primary them, uh, been there, done that in 2018 with uh, with Paula Jean Sperringen. We tried to get rid of Joe Manchin, you know, um, but we keep voting these people in and I never blame the voters, but they, they've showed us who they are. At least they're the most on the face um, out of everyone that we can point to for the rotating villains. But I think the party likes I think the Democratic Party likes their theatrics, even though Kirsten Sinema has now moved to independent, because that's someone to point to and blame. And sometimes I wonder if that's why they're so over the top. And by but the it's way, not a surprise. I'm not shocked by any of this at all. And by, and by the way, you would know uh, better than Steve and I, but I think it's bullshit that Manchin has to be this way because West Virginia is red. I mean, West Virginia was like first century uh, a Democratic state. It has a rich union history, a rich populist history. The reason that West Virginia has gone red is because the Democratic Party has gone red in West Virginia. It's moved to the right and it hasn't it hasn't provided an alternative to, uh, you know, radical right wingers. If you actually had like a real populist left candidate running that didn't get a complete media blackout, which is difficult there. I think they would have a chance. Uh, Joe Manchin actually didn't win by that much against the Republican 
in 2018. So, uh, yeah, that's just my two cents. I think it's well, I will add one thing. The West Virginia Democratic Party, you know, they've been embroiled in racism. We've seen that recently, you know, just a year ago. Um, They've they um, have always thrown everything they can against progressive candidates or even any candidate that's more to the left that's running. And so there, if you talk to the voters, there's a big distinction between the two parties and the people running and the voters. I've talked to thousands of them. The actual voters in West Virginia, most of them are independent. Most of them are pro-union. Most of them support uh, policies like Medicare for all. So there's a juxtaposition between the candidates that win and the actual people there. So when people say it's a red state, I'm like, have you talked to any West Virginians or are you basing that on the fact that Manchin and, and uh, Shelly Moore Capito keep winning? Right. So that, I mean, that is that, and there is a loss. There's a massive loss of trust because the democratic party abandoned um, laborers and they've abandoned the unions and the workers in West Virginia, particularly, you know, the coal miners who lost their jobs to the boom and bust and now need more work. Um, we've It's been replaced with temp positions, same as here in Southeastern Kentucky. Um, right. So that's, we're not really red, blue. Most people around these parts are all independent, but they are pro-union. They vote for Medicare for all. We just, there is no party that's offering that right now that's running in these particular states. I mean, there's a few state parties, but there's not a lot going on. So. A lot of people just don't show up at the polls and vote at all. Yeah. And Steve, let me tee this up because I know uh, this headline and uh, the contents of this Washington Post Democracy Dies in Darkness article uh, is perfect for you. Smash that like button, by the way, right under the live stream. But the Washington Post writes, the worry in Davos, globalization is under siege. Uh, now, I'm not going to read this whole article, but I think this part in particular is interesting. Uh, top on the agenda are concerns over a possible global recession. There's also the vexing challenge of climate change and the ongoing war in Ukraine and its downstream effects, including the snarling of the world's grain trade that contributed to the onset of famine conditions and swaths of sub-Saharan Africa. Beneath it all is a deeper Davos anxiety. Few institutions are so immediately connected to neoliberalism and the project of globalization as this forum. In an age of ascendant nationalism and great power rivalry, where the U.S. itself is waging trade wars, where does globalization go? The latest story of The Economist, which every year puts out an issue that tries to define the Davos zeitgeist, bemoaned the, quote, new logic that threatens globalization. It decried the Biden administration's, quote, abandonment of free market rules for an aggressive industrial policy. That's laughable pointing to a subsidy-laden program to power the United States' green transition, as well as new efforts to make the nation a hotbed of semiconductor, semiconductor manufacturing. All of this, the classically liberal economist argued, has, quote, set off a dangerous spiral into protectionism worldwide and phrased the global order that the U.S. spent decades creating and securing in the aftermath. Uh, Steve, to me, that's code for the very people that have enriched themselves by selling like manufacturing jobs, offshores, the very people that have basically rigged the global market to basically send a lot of the jobs to other countries, cheap labor, uh, are concerned at like the pittance of efforts Joe Biden has made to bring a little bit 
little bit more of that manufacturing back here. Yeah, just just think of it like this. The World Economic Forum and Davos exist above and over all national governments, including the United States, as they sit there and they debate things and they try to further diminish the role of government. That's what they were talking about. What Biden did things that were considered to be, well, let's put it this way. What Biden did during uh, COVID, which was not much, by the way, uh, they would have literally shut down countries in the global South for violating their uh, structural adjustments with the uh, International Monetary Fund. So the WEF, World Economic Forum, which is what this whole Davos thing is all about, is literally sitting there acting as 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 a de facto government uh, of the global government because they've started infiltrating. They've been using different programs to place people that have been training in their young leadership program. And yes, they have a young leadership program where they try to put these people into power into different positions at the Fed uh, in different deep state roles. And I mean, it's like not hidden. It's like right there in your face. So naturally, cinema and mansion are there to do the bidding of these individuals. They are puppets for that WEF as our literally most of our elected officials are puppets for that WEF. We've we've punted our sovereignty away and have given it up in the name of fascist oligarchy and these these corporate states. Uh, that are existing above and beyond the reign of the government, it's just going to keep happening. So it makes sense that Mansion and Cinema would be there. Makes sense. And uh, keep those super chats coming. Thanks, Double K. Uh, we'll read the super chats at the end. One thing that stood out to me, and this rarely gets talked about, one of the big reasons for inflation, besides price gouging, is a supply chain crisis. One of the big reasons we have a supply chain crisis is because we stopped making shit in America about 30 years ago. Uh, and we outsourced it to China, Mexico, and other countries. I'm not against Mexicans, Chinese, you know, other citizens of other countries having jobs. Uh, they're not good jobs. They're terrible conditions uh, that these people work in so that we could get a cheap whatever. Uh, but at the expense of Americans, I'm not for that. Uh, but what that article and what it seems like is the zeitgeist, the panic over at um, uh, Davos is that there's starting to be more of a global outcry against that. And even some policy, they, they mentioned uh, protectionist policy, even though I don't think mm-hmm. that's what's Biden, even though that's not what Biden is doing. I mean, come on. If it were up to Biden, we'd have the TPP today. Uh, he just knows that's not a winner politically. Just remember the reason we're having a very, very hot cold war with China right now and Russia is because we didn't take care of business at home. We allowed our nation to fall apart over the last 40 years. China is savat kicking us right in the chin with their Belt and Road Initiative. They have got brand new everything. They are literally rolling out the red carpet to say we're ready to do business, but not just predatory business. They're there to be partners with people. And, you know, for all the, the shit libs out there that try and act like, oh, we got to fight Russia. Oh, we got to fight. They're, they're taking care of things and they're offering an alternative to what we do here. So when you look at the protectionism, the protectionism Biden engaged in, if you will, was, hey, we screwed the pooch. And I think we've talked about this several times during his State of the Union address. The first one, second one, both of them were targeting China, prepping the runway to make sure that we could kind of splice that up, cut it right in half so that we could start protecting ourselves because we allowed the shit to fall apart. 
So this is this this is not a, a, a news story. This is a continuation of the larger story. Right. And also, uh, it's not only that we allowed the shit to fall apart. We allowed like entire communities and cities and states to fall apart. I mean, Zena, uh, Kentucky's peripherally, I guess, the Rust Belt. But you've been through the Rust Belt. You see these ghost towns that used to be manufacturing hubs. Uh, well, all of it's not not only that, but it's bringing in expanding beyond manufacturing is something that is happening um, with the Belt and Road Initiative and in China and Russia, um, automation, and then what happens to the workers post-automization. So a shift from the, you know, hardcore, sweat-inducing, labor-intensive manufacturing that we glamorize here in the States. There are uh, countries that are industrializing, but also moving away from that. We see this in our mass transit. We see the juxtaposition between our railroads here and and the the transportation um, of high speed rail in China and Russia and and, and Europe, and so in, in our infrastructures, you guys know with with our you know our water um, facilities bridges. bridges, we're getting over and over again from the American Association of Civil Engineers every four year report card. We're getting what a D D minus. Um, close to an F this last round in, in 20s, uh, I believe it was 2020 when they did their last report. So no companies, we don't have the infrastructure to support the manufacturing. Our railroads are crumbling. And so we're, we're also talking about bringing manufacturing in, but when our entire um, infrastructural ecosystem is degraded to the point that it is now, who are we going to be enticing? That's another part of the problem. Right. I also you, want to hold on. I want to piggyback on what she just said. This is really important. When you don't plan in maintenance into your view of what you've built, you build something back in 1930, 1940, or whatever. If you don't plan maintenance of all those things into your budget, not just new things, but maintenance of those things, they're going to fall apart. And we have been so short-sighted. We've allowed this whole deficit hawkery bullshit to, to reign supreme. And there's a lot of people out there who have no economic understanding whatsoever, fapping about, about the national debt and all the other stuff. And so they've got us strangled by, by these lies and myths. And so naturally the whole world's falling apart. And that, hey, rather than spend money, we got to gin up a cold war with China so that we can get back on track. It, 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 it would be comical if people weren't actually dying from the austerity that they're breeding. But Well, it's not, it's, it's the opposite. It's not spending money, it's making money because the Cold War with China and Russia greases the skids of the military industrial complex. <laughs> Thank you very much. Got to use our, uh, our sound effects. Uh, I want to show also because while these uh, mansion cinema or, you know, fist bumping at Davos, uh, BlackRock, we're going to get to in a minute. Colin, if you could bring this up from Oxfam. Uh, this just came out. The richest 1% bag nearly twice as much West wealth as the rest of the world put together over the past two years. What happened over the past two years? A deadly pandemic, which we'll get to later, is, is still actually going on despite, you know, some people saying it's over. Richest 1% bagged nearly twice as much wealth as the rest of the world put together over the past two years. Super rich outstripped their extraordinary grab of half of all new wealth. 
Billionaire fortunes are increasing by 2.7 billion a day, even as at least 1.7 billion workers now live in countries where inflation is outpacing wages. Tax of up to 5% are the world's multimillionaires and billionaires could raise 1.7 trillion a year, enough to lift 2 billion out of poverty. The richest 1% grab nearly two thirds of all new wealth worth $42 trillion created since 2020, almost twice as much money as the bottom 99%. What's incredible about that is we showed a tweet yesterday uh, from Biden. I don't know if, you, if you, you might not still have it, Colin. Um, obviously, he's not responsible for the entire global. Oh, there you go. That's why we love Colin. My plan is growing our economy from the bottom up and the middle out, creating hundreds of thousands of good paying jobs and lowering costs. Text me at, <laughs> I still can't get over this. Text me at blah, blah, blah number so I could keep you up to date with Zena. We said yesterday, this is just a marketing ploy to get people's numbers for his campaign. Anyway, um, Steve. Who called you at 10 a.m. this morning saying, I got an idea. Let's do an alternative jobs report. That would be me. I called Steve and said, I want Steve to do an alternative jobs report looking at the real economy, like economic inequality, like how many people are working more than one job, like, you know, real markers that show real economic pain. So as Biden is putting out his neoliberal spin of the his plan, whatever that means, uh, as uh, Manchin and Cinema are fist bumping, most of the globe is being looted. Most of the globe, working class uh, globally, it, it's highway robbery. Uh, and the people at Davos, you know, they have the media uh, to spin fairy tales of their charity and innovation. Remember Elon Musk before he became, you know, chief Twitter troll? The media puffed him up as a genius. It's just outrageous. Literally, we have a global theft whoever wants to respond i'm going to say this real quick and then i'll let zayna take care of the rest but one thing's for sure during the pandemic the u.s government spent huge amounts of money into moderna pfizer and all the other pharmaceutical companies to develop these vaccines that money right there never touched anyone else it was just massive just whatever you need to spend spend it Whatever you need to do, do it, whatever, just do it. And that money was spent at the very, very top, the tippity top of the iceberg. And it never trickled down. It stayed in the fire sector. That would be finance, insurance, real estate. And all it did was stock buybacks and fatten the wealthy. And then as they jacked prices up because they started this global uh, war, basically this economic war, as they did that, then they in turn raised interest rates that further funneled money up to the rich, the people that already have money. So they got a double dip on this thing. I mean, a double dip. And we didn't even get, we didn't even get $2,000 checks, Jolt and Joe Biden. So we, we, at the end of the day, you, you saw that thing you put up from, I don't know, was it the post or whoever that was talking about all the mi millions and billions of dollars spent and the good of this and that. The fact of the matter is, is that every penny of that came from a government quote unquote printing money to pay that money. It didn't come out of thin air from some weird place. It came straight out of a government. So the government was in cahoots, fattening the fuck out of these people, literally pumping them full of money. This is not an accident. They didn't just do this because, you know, companies are gouging. The federal government literally paid it to them, literally paid it to them. 
and then to jack up prices to create inflation so that they know the there's there's two types of knowledge. There's this knowledge that you kind of pick up and, and it can be debated. And then there's institutionalized knowledge. Well, raising interest rates when there's inflation is quote unquote institutionalized knowledge, meaning it's beyond debate. So they automatically raised interest rates and the rich already knew this. So I had a conversation a while back with Mark Cuban, of all people, who said, it doesn't matter what happens, I will always make money. I will always get money. If you cut spending for the people, I'll still find a way to make money, because what do they do? They'll raise interest rates. I'm telling you, it's a, it is rigged in a big way. There's no, it's not a question of how even. We know how. You can see how. It's just a question of when are we going to fight back? When are we going to say enough's enough? That's that's my take on it. Anyway, I keep waiting. It doesn't ever happen, but I keep waiting. Wait. And there's a, there's enough. There's another thing that I think it wasn't mentioned, but I have a feeling uh, the folks globally are paying attention and they might be worried at Davos about this trend. Zaina said this to me. U.S. labor strikes went up almost 50 percent last year. Oh, excuse me, the last two years. Uh, so 50 percent between 2021 and 2022. Uh, union membership and strike activity has fallen in the decades since Martin Luther King's death. But more recently, that's been changing. The number of strikes in the U.S. rose almost 50 percent between 2021 and 2022. In many industries, working conditions have worsened during the pandemic. Kathy Creighton Cornell said workers are stressed, quote, and with labor shortages, that exacerbates the stress because you have to do more with a lot less people. I think the I think the uh, the people hobnobbing there over, uh, you know, caviar, champagnes, you know, probably snails. Uh, they probably noticed that, wow, Americans who long have been a doormat, who long have, it's been a race to the bottom, you know, we've been conditioned to basically accept shit. I would say the baby boomer generation, uh, you know, no offense, we have a lot of baby boomers who watch us, but a lot of older people I know have said, well, you know, better than nothing, right? I think they're noticing that, well, like American workers are starting to fight back. And I think that is part of the panic, Zaina. Well, I mean, we're behind on the game and on fighting back compared to, you know, um, countries in, in South America, anywhere in the global South. Workers have been rising up. Um, you've got workers rising up in the European countries. Um, a lot of people don't realize what's happening in Iran has also been coupled with a nationwide general strike this entire time. Uh, so they've been on strike for 120 days now, general public strike. I mean, with small business owners even closing up shop to protest, um, to protest the gouging from the Iranian government. So you have it everywhere. We're, we're behind in this country. So we're up 50 percent, but we are still behind here. And we do have a scout. We, that's I think that's part of the reason we saw the recent case um the recent scoutist case that that is up um, right now that they argued, what was it on Friday, um, which could kneecap. Um, is uh, is scoutist like an arth arthritic condition or what is <laughs> I always say scoutist. Scotus. Uh, yes, that's my yes. app. That's my Appalachian. <laughs> Colin and uh, Jordan were making fun of me for saying scoutist. <laughs> scotus. <laughs> Yes, the um, the Supreme Court. So we have had um, a case. There's a current case at the Supreme Court right now. I'm going to I'm looking up the name really quick. Um, but essentially, it is a company that is suing their workers 
currently. Um, let's see. Oh, I know what you're talking about. This is the uh, over the strikes. Yes. Um, and let's see, it was, it's up right now for a vote and it's not just limiting strikes. What is happening? It's, um, Glacier Northwest Incorporated, um, versus International Brotherhood of Teamsters. And this case, I think points to Davos's reaction and to what we may see in the future, further hampering labor organizing that we're going to have to find solutions to work around because this is now furthering individual rights of organizations and giving organization the same rights as people. And I know Steve, you've talked about this forever. You know, we've been working, I, I watched actually, I think it was two years ago, a breakdown where you described what happened with corporations from the onset of the first corporation established to today, where corporations have shifted into becoming their own entities, their own identity. And just padding the pockets of the, of the very ones at, at the top of these organizations. But now we're looking at the possibility that they can sue if, if uh, the Supreme Court rules in favor of Northwestern, they can sue um, people who go on strike if there's any losses at the business, if there's any property damage, um, if there's labor lost um, for the cost of rehiring. Well, what isn't that the damn point of a strike? That's the damn point of, of organizing and pushing back is to, to throw a wrench in their profits so that something will be done. So it's very concerning. And I, and, I, and I talk about that because it's relevant, because we're going to see the ruling of that likely in the next week or two um, coming down from the Supreme Court and the future of labor is, is resting on that right now. But I, I believe in my heart of hearts that that's part of the same. We're seeing some of the same responses at, at Davos. We're also seeing a company starting to hire temp work. Temp work is up 85% in this country. And then temp yep. jobs don't, they, they are, you know, six to 10, 12 month jobs. They don't offer benefits. They don't offer retirement. And I have been digging through Bureau of Labor and statistics. Um, so I don't have the exact number, but I was shocked to see um, five years ago to now, especially millennials, the majority of work that, that they're getting is either temp or gig work. So there is no job security. And I, I think all of this is in response and it's to, to pad the book, to pad the pockets of, of the billionaires. And we've, we've seen this, I'll say one other thing and then I'll hush because I've been going on too long, but there's, uh, <laughs> I've been running my mouth too long, but in 2019 um, when the um, Spanish influenza hit, Companies made a ton of money. We started seeding money for, you know, gearing up post-World War One. We we saw a similar model. We saw the massive wealth boom, you know, with the the, the Vanderbilts and the Worthingtons and others. Um, and then we had the Great Depression. And I feel like we're seeing something very similar happen right now, just over and over again and consolidated. I'm so glad you said over and Hold over on. again. Hold on. Uh, but I have okay. to say we're capitalist, and that's just the way it is. Uh, but I have to say we're capitalist. So you know, Nancy's responding to that, and she doesn't like what she had to say. Go on, Steve. And by the way, right. uh, our poll that I just did right now with 33 votes: Would you rather hobnob at a D Davos cocktail party or eat worms? 67% uh, 
would rather eat worms. So make sure you vote in that poll. It's in the chat uh, before uh, I end the poll. But right now, 65% would prefer to eat worms than hobnob at a Davos cocktail party. Davos, Switzerland. I mean, I personally would rather that. But go ahead, Steve. So I, I want to piggyback on this. This wash, rinse, repeat over and over again keeps happening over and over again. And it's not an accident. I mean, I, I did a show on here a few weeks back. I don't know whether it was the grumble or whether it was whatever it was. I, I did a show on this. But the fact is, is that since 1917, when the Bolsheviks revolted, the U.S., Great Britain, all the economic powers of the world took an oh shit moment and said, what's happening here? And they had a massive overreaction to, to the Bolsheviks. And across the world, ever since then, they have done everything they can to stop socialism or communism from having any foothold anywhere, right? Well, Clara Mattei, who is like my spirit animal next to Jason Hickel, Clara Mattei is my, the coolest person in the world to me. She wrote a book about the capital order, and she talked about the trinity of austerity. And this is the tool that Zana was speaking about just now, and she the, the over and over, because it's institutionalized knowledge. Number one, we raise interest rates. We mess with the money on that side. Number two, we bring back the power of the sack. We fire people. We make people nervous we create temp work we do things that makes people live in precarity and then the last one is the real the big one which is we cut spending and we act like we're broke and we can't do good things so that three part act of the triune austerity model is what they do each time and so what happens is, is once workers start exhibiting any kind of power whatsoever they begin that three-pronged attack to begin and they do it and it's just such nobody questions it why would you question it there's inflation of course you got to raise interest rates oh my god there's inflation of course you can't spend money oh my god there's inflation oh my god we got to lay people off to bring it down because the only way people like larry summers know to fix inflation is to do it on the backs of workers instead of cost controls price controls doing other things to improve the supply chains etc because in the end it's really got nothing to do with supply chains these are intentional acts they're acts that even if they could fix it like that they won't because the goal isn't to fix it the goal is to keep us in precarity because and it's not even about them making more money they win sometimes by losing money because it's about power it's about the ability to do things that nobody else can fathom doing. And when you're in that stratosphere, you can do an incredible amount of things. And that's what this Davos thing is all about. It's about empowering that kind of behavior so that we, the people, the little people, we, we, we have a blind spot. We think no way could our elected leaders be doing this to us. No way could our government be doing this to us. I love AOC. There's no way AOC could be doing this. There's no way any of these people could do this. Oh my God, vote blue, vote for summer, vote for Pedro, all the other stuff. Oh my God, we got to vote harder. We got to knock harder. We got to, we got to do things to make ourselves feel like we're in power. But the reality is they put a veneer up in front of us. While Davos is happening, and Davos is where the real power is. And that yeah. right there, unfortunately, whether we like hearing that, we don't have to like hearing it, but we do have to understand that that's a reality. And it will change the way you view your elected representatives. It will change the way you view the news. It'll change the way you view your president and all the people that are over there doing these things. If you stop thinking they're trying to help us, but they just had a bumbling moment. 
They just screwed up. Oh, if they'd have just thought of that, right? <laughs> They're not there for that purpose. But it's hard. We don't want to believe that. We we have this built-in protector that says, no, there are there are good people there. They're really good. And they're fighting for us. They're not. And, and that's part of the problem. We have to bust that virgin brain. And we've got to start showing people the real ugly underbelly so they begin to see it as it is, not as they would like it to be. Once the you good see thing it, is what, 75% of our country are now um, independent, have moved away from both parties. Both parties are the steep minority in this country. I mean, people who vote or identify as Democrat or Republican or the other minority, it's it's less than 25, around 30, 25 to 30% polls show. So most of our country identify as independent. One of the large, one of the across the board polled zero trust in government is is close is up in the 90 percent or no trust in government and no trust in corporations so most people are realizing steve the question is what the hell's next maybe this uh this 50 percent increase in union organizing is a sign and we're in for some good things in 2023 i hope so i i might here's i'm gonna say this and feel free to tell me i'm full of it i don't know how a third party is able to break through a duopoly that owns the process of getting you into the game. They own everything from the, the debates to, you name it, to the voting booths, every aspect of the system. They really, they in particular, are masters of. So they almost have to vote away their own power. They almost have to go through this process. And, and to me, that would show that the truth is they're not really there to do that, right? So... In my mind, the value of a third party or a vanguard party is not from an electoral perspective so much as an organizing perspective to build up those parallel institutions to allow us to fight back. Because we can't fight back, in my opinion, not in the way we would right. like to see fight back. Can both either. of you shut the fuck up with your intelligence and prof <laughs> profound thoughts? I got a lot more topics and I, I only got Steve for an hour. No, I'm just kidding. You guys, I, I love you, it, guys, you, guys you guys are great. Um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. You guys are great. I want to keep it moving, though, um, because interestingly enough, uh, the, the CEO of Citigroup, uh, obviously one of the corporate Neanderthals that tanked our global economy a decade ago, and then BlackRock, they had some interesting things to say at Davos. Uh, so it's kind of like putting the global arsonists on stage to lecture us. But Colin, let's start with uh, the city CEO uh, who said, we expect to see a mild recession. But I want, I want to key, on, key in on what you said after that. We expect to see a mild recession, um, largely driven by the painfully persistent service inflation um, it's coming off, but it's still pretty high, and we do expect to see central banks continue tightening as a result. So is it just me, or are a lot of the uh, billionaire CEOs, the politi politicians swooning? Uh, Paul Ryan, by the way, is there. Uh, so is Anthony Scaramucci. Uh, a lot of political operatives are in Davos right now. Uh, a lot of maybe not billionaires, but very wealthy people uh, Aren't they the ones that have been price gouging the fuck out of America and the rest of the world, uh, driving the corporate price gouging, even though you won't hear that on you know, CNN, MSNBC? Shocker, John Fetterman won in Pennsylvania. Uh, he actually won uh, 
better numbers in conservative areas than Biden and any other Democrat. And he was running on corporate price gouging, among other things. Um, isn't it interesting that she's kind of casually just dropping? Yeah, because of the service inflation, when most of these swine at Davos are the ones driving it. Did you hear what she said? She said the central bank. She's talking about the central bank, which is kind of hilarious because they obviously are working in cahoots. The, the, the thing is they understand. They fully understand this quote unquote tightening that what they're saying is keeping interest rates high and all interest rates. do. I mean, serious. I need folks to understand this. All interest rates are is paying additional money to somebody for money. Okay. The, the people that are taking out credit and having to pay higher interest or whatever, they're the ones that are bleeding it, but it's going somewhere. Someone's getting that money. And it isn't the central bank making out because the central banks end up forking over whatever they have above and beyond their, their costs over to in the U S for example, the treasury. So it's, it's not that it really is a matter of control. And this is a way of funneling that money up to the wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. And so just, just be very, very careful when you think about just thinking about how these things spontaneously happen. They are literally working hand in glove right now with central banks. They they're on speed dial. They know each other. They're homies. It, it's not, it's not a joke. It's just, this is the game game set match. Did you say not a joke, not a joke. Not um, wonderful. So that's uh, the city CEO. Now BlackRock, BlackRock, Black, Black, BlackRock, largest money uh, asset manager on the globe, trillions of dollars of money, uh, corruption scandal after corruption scandal. Uh, their CEO spoke, Larry Fink, and he seems to think that BlackRock is being unfairly demonized uh, based on their ESG investments. If you're not in finance, ESG has kind of become all the rage. Uh, it stands for environment. Let me make sure I got it right. ESV investing. It stands for environmental, social, and corporate governance. Uh, it's become kind of a thing that BlackRock claims that they're a leader in. And really all it means is these companies claim that they take into account environmental, social uh, ramifications or considerations in their investments. So for example, BlackRock as part of their ESG investing, says that they have cut a lot of their investments in fossil fuels and shifted over to renewables. Most of that is bullshit and just PR marketing. But I want to play uh, this clip of Larry Fink. You're trying to address the misconceptions. Uh, it is, uh, it's hard uh, because it's not, it's not business anymore. They're doing it in a personal way. And in the first time in my professional career, um, attacks are now personal. Um, they're trying to demonize issues. So the attacks on BlackRock are personal. Um, mind you, BlackRock, Colin, if you have the Yahoo uh, story, BlackRock accused of greenwashing uh, with $85 billion uh, coal investment. That, that, Im that image, that's pretty funny because I was actually there covering that uh, protest. Uh, but BlackRock, the world's largest money manager, has been accused of greenwashing its investment activities in a report that claims the company has as much as 85 billion invested in coal. 
So, so much for their, you know, consciousness of, you know, the climate crisis and all that. Not to mention, uh, not just their investments in coal, but chemical companies, um, you know, natural gas uh, that's supposedly, you know, so great. But again, the, these are the world's arsonists on stage, uh, either hip being complete tone deaf hypocrites like that city CEO talking about inflation when most of them have been driving it. And now BlackRock thinks they're being unfairly demonized. The floor is yours, whomever. This is intentional. You know, I not only was trained in journalism, I was trained in public relations. You, it, I always remember that there are lawyers writing their talking point, you know, the talking points of CEOs and, and the talking points of their talking heads. It's intentional. And and all that I'm hearing is gaslighting, the, the greenwashing. And then the woe is me. People are angry at BlackRock, even though, you know, we hold social responsibility in our hearts and, and we're it, it's the <laughs> it's inflation. Right. Um, and then just as you said, she told us um, who was it before? Um, at Davos, um, the city city group CEO, the city group CEO. She told us what they were doing behind the scenes. She told us about the the you know corrupt collaboration, while at the same time also kind of victimizing herself as the poor company, the poor CEO, and and gaslighting us. And they, it's just an obstruction from accountability, and uh, it, it doesn't mean anything. And honestly, the good thing that I see when I look at that is most Americans, if they heard that would be like, what is she talking about? Or that's BS or most people globally. <laughs> There's a few, you know, coastal neoliberal neoliberals or people that already have money that'll listen to that and buy it. But most people won't, at least in my opinion. <laughs> right. But this is why it's so important. And Steve, you and I have talked about this as long as we've been co-hosting together. Um, I'm not saying toss electoralism out completely. I don't I don't think you have to do that. Like you could vote or be involved with electoral politics, but also do organizing activism or you could build a third party, whatever. Like they're not mutually exclusive. However, when you look at particularly presidential campaigns, Senate campaigns, bigger level campaigns, I think on the local level, th this doesn't apply as much. It's all smoke and mirrors. Even running for president, all these candidates, their economic plan, their policies, their agenda, their agenda is happening in Switzerland right now. That's who's setting the agenda. The flag's not That's for, true. you know, the flag's not for gimmicks. We live in the United Corporations of America. You want to expand it to the global corporations of America. So, you know, Biden or Mitt Romney or DeSantis, they might have specific initiatives they want to do. But the big scale, neoliberalism, trickle down economics, um, deindustrialization, public private partnerships, which is just code for privatization, all that shit. These are the people uh, setting the agenda. And I'm not pushing like the, you know, some people use agenda in more shall we say, conspiratorial, anti-Semitic, you know, the globalists. We're not talking about that. I'm saying the economic agenda uh, to essentially create a tale of two cities, but on a global scale, are these people. And the media props them up. The media props them up as the innovators and thought leaders and philanthropists. 
Uh, that's why Jeff Bezos, as horrible a human as he is, gets puff pieces all the time about, oh, he created a, you know, a building for the homeless or he created a new school or, you know, things like that. So uh, very important, even though this is a few day agenda, it really crystallizes kind of um, how this global capitalistic system works. So it, I want you to think about something. You hear us talking about the subjects that we talk about, the issues that we think are important. And then you watch what they talk about and the issues they think are important. There is not a scintilla of any kind of crossover. There's not even kind of like a, we're getting there. We're getting close. The issues they're talking about have nothing to do with what matters to us. And we keep thinking we're voting for these people to do these things that we're here talking about. Yeah. We want Medicare for all. We want free college, get rid of student debt, green new deal. We say we want these things. But there's none of that at that. None, zero, like none. Okay. And when you look at groups like BlackRock and you look at the buying up of properties in the United States and you go back to the global financial crisis when we had countrywide and all the others in the mortgages and the, I mean, we have seen this exact corrupt game play out in the United States several times. We've seen it play out on the world and, and it's going to keep happening. We're going to keep acting like, why, why, if we just vote a few more progressives in, we'll win. If we just do this, we'll win. We'll just win. But we're, we're not even playing the right game. We're not even talking about the right subjects because in the end, they're not hearing us. They don't give a shit what we care about. They don't care what we want, what we need. Zero. They have all of it. They have the game lock, stock and barrel. They've got the guns. They've got the media. They've got everything. And we literally have our, it's almost like we can't bear the thought that our voice isn't being heard. So we just keep saying things. Truth is they're not listening and they don't care. They're not there to meet any of the needs we bring up. Zero. Steve. It, it's wash, rinse, repeat. Steve. Yes, sir. Yes. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed. That's what's going on. Uh, public service announcement. By the way, uh, smash that like button. 250 people watching. Let's get that number up. More people that press like, the more people that we'll see. Tomorrow, 5 o'clock Eastern, I will be interviewing Thomas Frank, uh, the terrific author. If, you're mad, uh, if you remember back in the day, uh, What's the Matter with Kansas? Uh, a, a famous book about basically people voting against their own interests. He also wrote Listen Liberal. Uh, which is really, really great book about the Democratic Party's shift rightward, uh, wrote Pity the Billionaire. So I'll be live with Thomas Frank, uh, 5 o'clock Eastern tomorrow, followed by that. Uh, Ty, Ty will be hosting, Tommy Bayless. So uh, that will be popcorn worthy for sure. Uh, so that's 5 o'clock Eastern tomorrow, uh, me with Thomas Frank. Another reminder, uh, Saturday and Sunday, January 28th and January 29th, put it in your calendar, Mega Marathons, 12 o'clock Eastern to 3 o'clock Eastern. Uh, right now we'll have uh, Nina Turner, Marianne Williamson, Christian Smalls, Francis Fisher, Stephen Donziger. I got um, requests out to a whole lot of other people, so we're going to have other guests. Hopefully Zaina, Steve could join for a little bit too. Uh, we're doing uh, two days, uh, you know, uh, three hours each, possibly go longer, uh, have a lot of fun. Also, hopefully fundraise because the shows are meant to raise money uh, to go towards our on the ground reporting this year. So put it in your calendar Saturday and Sunday, uh, 28th and 29th um, status coup. And you can donate now if you want towards this fundraiser status coup.com slash donate. Our goal is to raise 15 grand. 
that might be ambitious right now. I think we're at statusquo.com slash donate. Uh, I think right now we have raised 750. So we've raised 750. The goal is 15 grand. So a little over 14,000 to go. Uh, so any amount, uh, if you could afford it, statuscoup.com slash donate. It's going towards our on-the-ground reporting, which, by the way, uh, we're going to be sending Lewis to the border pretty soon uh, to cover uh, the border crisis. I have a feeling the way it's being framed both on Fox News and CNN isn't exactly accurate. So we're going to send Lewis uh, to the border. Uh, I'll be back on the road uh, soon. I do have a newborn, so I'm not going on the road right now, uh, but I will be back on the road soon. So did I miss anything, Zaina? Any other PSAs? I think that's it. Subscribe to our Substack. <laughs> yes. I want to go to this COVID topic while I have Steve here, because as far as I know, I've had it. Steve have had it. Zaina, I think you've had it. Uh, some of us have had longer term symptoms in terms of long COVID. But I find it pretty incredible. COVID has become so polarizing uh, between vaccines and mandates. And is it, you know, now it's like, are people dying with COVID or from COVID, which I think is ridiculous. And, you know, if you get in a car accident, uh, you know, and you go to the hospital and you die as a result, you, you probably died of something, but, you know, like a hemorrhaging or, you know, but the car accident caused it. Anyway, um, but Sam Harris, who's kind of like this, I don't really know what you would classify him as, like an intellectual or, a, I don't really know. He's very polarizing. But he said something on Twitter the other day that got a lot of um, pushback. Um, I, I took it in a bad way for different reasons than other people, but let's play it. And then I'll get your guys' thoughts. Take it back to COVID for a second. In one way, and we got very lucky that COVID wasn't worse than it was, right? You know, it could have been much, much worse. It could have been 10 times as deadly or, or, you know, 50 times as deadly. And we would have, we would have lived through, or many of us wouldn't have lived through something truly awful. But um, mm. had COVID been worse, you know, uh, just enough worse to really get our attention, to really be undeniable, we would have had a different political conversation around it. There wouldn't, there wouldn't have been the same kind of vaccine skepticism. Brett Weinstein would not have been releasing 80 straight podcasts on the dangers of the vaccine if a few variables were changed. I mean, just, just take that, leave COVID exactly as it is, but just make it preferentially dangerous children rather than to old people, right? You just flip that mm -hmm. around, the, the, the variable of age. If kids were dying by the hundreds of thousands from, from COVID at a rate of whatever it was, you know, 1%, say, um, mm -hmm. but if it was pretty much all kids, we, we would have had a very different experience, right? And, right. and the patience, that there would have been no fucking patience vaccine skepticism mm -hmm. right and we everyone would have recognized that this is not my body my choice this is you're not going to kill my kids with your with your ignorance right and uh, you change one other variable what if the vaccines actually really did block transmission much better than they in fact did right now there was a moment mm -hmm. where it was only rational to expect them to block so i guess i mean this could be said for really anything i mean it could be said for like i don't know 
the Iraq and Afghanistan war. We could have lost 10,000, you know, we could have lost 20,000 soldiers. Uh, you could really say that for anything. But to me, what really made me kind of uh, grossed out by that comment and makes me grossed out by a lot of people who talk this way is they make it seem like it wasn't really fucking horrible and like really cataclysmic. Um, I don't know if he knows this because he made it seem like it's either it's most people that died were older. That's true. But I mean, if you just look at the numbers, Colin, if you have the graph that I sent you, I mean, we've had 270,000 deaths under the age of 65. So that's a quarter of a million people that have died that are not technically old. You know, a lot of people have pushed this idea. Oh, it's mostly old people dying. Well, technically, um, the the majority of people who died were older, but that's still a fuck ton of people that have died from this that are not old. Uh, not to mention long COVID, which is not covered at all uh, by the mainstream media. And some people have almost made out that it's psychosomatic and in your head, which I think is really gross because I know people who have uh, experienced long COVID. So I guess I wanted to talk about this because I don't know if this, it came off to me that Sam Harris was kind of saying like, this could have been a lot worse. Like it wasn't really, really bad, but I think that it kind of gets minimized how bad this really was by people who say, well, look how many people die of X per year or this per year. And, oh, you're making it into uh, a much bigger thing. I mean, not to mention you have right now, by some estimates, four to five million people that are out of the workforce because they're disabled and can't work. Uh, the death count, I think it's underreported how many people have died. Um, so I'd love your thoughts because to me, what bothers me about what he said and this mentality is almost minimizing how many people that are were not 85, 90 have died, how many people have long-term illness, and also the unknown of I mean, COVID, you look at the studies uh, between nervous system, uh, blood clots, heart problems. I don't think we know the true ramifications in the long term of how this has affected people. You got a comment in there from a Bren R who I, I think I agree with. And uh, it says, wait, wait, isn't all of that Sam's point? I think he's trying to make the opposite point you're thinking. He's trying to refute that skepticism, et cetera. And I agree with that. Now explain why. You know, COVID was dubbed the boomer remover a while back. That was kind of like the one of the slurs. And there's an entire disgraceful, disgusting, useless, libertarian-minded belief that if you're fat and you're out of shape, go work out at the gym so you don't get COVID. Don't, you know, you're you're a fat slob. You eat too many bonbons. You deserve it. Don't don't ruin the rest of us who work out six hours a day. And, and try to make us have to, you know, do anything different with our lives. You know, it, it's all you fat slobs out there eating at McDonald's and all you old farts that were going to die anyway. And, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. What he's saying, though, is, is it would have flipped around in terms of our brains and the way we process things. And those fools over there that took that approach, it would have been very radically different had it largely been focused on children, had it been wiping out children. And they would have then they would have said, oh, shit. Yeah. Forget this whole my body, my choice thing. You ain't killing my kid. And it would have changed. That's what he that's what I think he was saying there. I could be wrong, but I think that's what Bren R is saying in the comments here as well. 
but I was reading up on this and that genuinely is the, the disgraceful right wing libertarian mindset. And by the way, hey, what, by the, by the way, what you're describing essentially was is what Joe Rogan pushed in the beginning. Oh, absolutely. And, and well, you know, a bunch of other people that pushed it, too, don't we? Yeah. Sub, the, the, the lemmings right below the Rogan status that did the same bullshit. And, and the thing is, is that you can be both skeptical of our government, skeptical of the vaccines, understanding full well that there was a rush to get these things out there to market. There's a lot of stuff that we're going to find out because yeah, we didn't have 20 years to observe the results and observe the, um, you know, the normal testing. There's a lot of legitimate criticisms to be heaped at Big Pharma and the approach they took to these vaccines and the governments that preyed upon people to keep us in the position we were in. There's a lot of, re but I almost died from COVID. We know this. We talked about this before. Literally, I remember walking. I drove myself to the hospital. I had to walk up a hill lungs i mean i was coughing up golf ball sized chunks of stuff i got in there my blood uh oxygen levels were in the 80s i mean lights were flashing they were rushing me in i mean it was terrifying 106 fever i mean terrifying i was inside the covid ward and people were dying coding in there it was it was terrifying no joke so i lived that experience i know what it feels like it was definitely not the flu and it definitely wasn't in my head but I will tell you that the things that they're saying, what he was saying there, when people think of the old, they think, well, yeah, they lived a good life. You know, hey, I'm not going to change my whole lifestyle. You stay home, grandma. You don't need to go out and socialize. Let us live. We're, we're healthy. Why do we have to worry about you? It's the disgraceful selfishness of libertarian-minded people that did this. And, and I'm, I'm not shy at all, by the way. You know what, Steve? You've, cha you've changed my view. You've changed my view, not about how I feel about it, but maybe I misinterpreted uh, what he was intending to say. So I'm glad we talked about this. Uh, I still think um, maybe this isn't what he was saying, but I think this mindset has come in that this is mostly something that old people are dying of because we become numb to death in this country, not just about COVID. I mean, look at the school shootings, right? I mean, look at the myriad of things people are dying from every day, people dying from homelessness, people dying from food insecurity. It's just that yeah, people move on. Uh, I mean, 20, 20 kids uh, killed in uh, Yavalde. We, we care for two weeks and people move on. Um, but I don't think like a quarter of the deaths have been under 65. Of course, the majority have been older people, but there's a lot of younger people or middle-aged people that died way too early because of this. So I find it disgraceful when you see, and we know who we know who they are, these big YouTubers, tweeters, podcasters, who just minimize this as, hey, it's, you know, uh, yeah, it's, well, it's, old, it's a thing for older people, but the rest of us just move on, let it rip uh, and be done with it. I, I don't agree with Sam that. Sam was doing that a little bit. This was the small clip. I watched a clip that Ron had posted uh, yesterday that was like the full clip. So, and I can see exactly where Steve's coming from with just the clip that we listened to. Yeah. But he was using this entire example as a framing for a conversation on religion and, and other things. Like it was just this broad and it turned into this Jordan Peterson style, just riffing that half of it was BS. You know what I'm talking about? Incel um, libertarian nonsense. Yes. 
Yes. And so to me, when I heard it, I, I can see where Steve is coming from now, just if I pull just that clip out from it, but listening to the whole context, it felt dehumanizing because COVID was being used as an example for something else. And then, and then to talk about children's death. Well, if he was making the point, you know, we would have paid attention to it if it was children's death, you know, if more, more children died, but he was like, he was just talking about the way society talks about things. Um, and, and I, the way that we often talk about war in this country, especially pundits, the way we talk about healthcare, the way we talk about COVID can be extremely dehumanizing. And I, I kind of got a little bit of that from and him ignorant. using COVID for that analogy. I what 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 angers me is the very people that have kind of minimized it the most. Um, the very people who have basically made it like it's the cold, like eh, at this point, it's the cold. Uh, the very people who have basically dismissed long COVID and, you know, either don't talk about it or say, ah, well, you know, it's it's in it's in your head or the very people who have made it, you know, well, these things happen. Uh, we shouldn't have any mitigation at all um, and have made a lot of money doing that are the same people who proclaim to be champions for Medicare for all. And the and the idea of collectivism in healthcare, and we're all in this together. So I find that very inc not just Sam, not Sam Harris in particular, but this mindset that it's only affecting old people. So you know we shouldn't worry that much. Uh, and long COVID, eh, what is that? You know, it, there's no way to calculate that. And the very people trying to minimize it by saying, well, are they dying with COVID or from COVID? <laughs> so it's really just all hyped up. Are the same people. Uh, saying we need to have Medicare for all marches and you know healthcare for all and this and that. I see the two as connected. How on one hand are you outraged by the United States government uh, complete disregard for human health, uh, human dignity, human rights, which is what I believe Medicare for all is about, but then you try and minimize this? Well, it's really just affecting old people. Well, who cares? Throw granny over the fucking Titanic. And long COVID, eh, that's overblown. And oh, Omicron, that's just a cold. Well, it was a cold that kill, killed the, the most people during this pandemic. That variant killed the most people because it was so fucking contagious. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm not, I think when I talk like this, you have people who, oh, he's advocating for lockdowns and mandates. No, you got to get out of that lizard brain thinking. This isn't about advocating for a lockdown. It's not for advocating for a mandate. This is advocating for collectivism. The media and the government have basically created a psychops that COVID is over. It's not over at all. It's Get spreading like work. it's spreading like wildfire, particularly in the Northeast where Steve and I are. Uh, literally, I tweeted it uh, the other day, but uh, Puck News reported a freshman Democrat told them that literally during this uh, speakerthon, the 15 votes, House members were literally standing outside. They took off their masks inside because they don't want to be seen with a mask. But outside, they were wearing masks, coughing because they were they were voting while COVID positive. Not a few, like a shit ton of the Congress people that were voting took were COVID positive and took off their masks to go vote. And then he called it like a hospital wing outside uh, the actual chamber because they had COVID. People are going back to work with COVID right now. Literally, uh, hospital wings, nurses are being forced to work with COVID. And why that matters, you say, so what? Well, 
would you say that's okay if like think think there was no think there was never a thing called covid would you think it's normal or healthy to all these fucking people be working with the flu or for people to get the flu three times a year wouldn't you be concerned that you might have some long-term effects for your children or your elder to continue oh sorry i didn't mean to interrupt i just saw a really great uh, uh comment from ron pop up and he said also we've done nothing ron placone uh says we also we have done nothing to protect kids in school we have also done nothing to stop bullets from flying in classrooms for decades society would care more if more would society care more if more kids died what a fantasy i mean Great. That's child Great abuse point. is way up domestic violence is way up which impacts children school shootings um now you can families can barely get a, med- a medical card for their kids. That used to be a thing that poor, poor people did. I mean, I grew up poor. Everyone had a medical card, you know, no one has one anymore. So I know most of the families I know don't have adequate insurance for their kids. No, no healthcare. So where's Sam coming from? We weren't taking care of our kids during the pandemic already. And the second variant that came was killing children. You know, thousands of children were getting hospitalized, sick, or now have long COVID. Hey, Jordan. Yeah, I got a boogie, brother. Promote yourself. (laughs) All right. Check me out over there at Real Progress in Action, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I do the Rogue Scholar. This week, I've taken a personal week off, so you won't see me until next Monday. Um, Saturdays, I am the host of Macro and Cheese podcast as well. Please, it's a podcast. It's not a video, so check it out. Go Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever. And then, of course, I'm here with Jordan, and I do my own Friday my way at 5 p.m. Friday nights. And with that, thank you guys for having me on. It was so nice to be on the show with you, Zane. I really appreciate meeting you here. And, Jordan, welcome back, sir. Good to see you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, good sir. Take care. And, uh, yeah, the final thing I'll say on this subject, I don't know what you think, Zaina, but I feel like even particularly on the left, COVID has become – it has been it's been made very tribal. It's almost like the force the vote of medicine <laughs> or, you know, like uh, people get very triggered if you have a different view on COVID. People get very triggered uh, as if you're for big pharma, if you don't think exactly like them. Uh, people get very triggered if you uh if you put out information that masks prevent infection, you know, I don't know where that, I think I know where it comes from. I mean, a lot of it comes from media hosts, uh, you know, and so-called experts, you know, pushing out stuff, but it's, it's alarming to me because on the left, not just over COVID, but a lot of other things, it used to be the idea, at least when I got into politics, that it was actually embraced that we all didn't agree all the time. It was actually embraced that there was some disagreement, not unlike values. Like if I start saying, hey, we need better access to healthcare," Yeah, you'll know I sold out. But now, like I even see it when I post stuff about, um, you know, a high number of COVID deaths uh, on a certain day. Or uh, if I post something about long COVID, you'll get people in the comments like extremely triggered, acting like I'm hysterical or this isn't real. And I just I don't know. I, I think that's very uh, dangerous because 
when you're looking at, I haven't gone through the whole Twitter files because it's like, there's a lot. And I think they're on like Twitter files 20 now or whatever. But obviously there's been some censorship of dissenting views and that that shouldn't be. Um, I think there should be a robust discussion. But it seems to me that on the left, it's become very tribal that if you have a different view or you think, or if you even state COVID is still happening or COVID is still, should be, um, should be, treated like a crisis. If you say we should have some mitigation, literally somebody went at my head like, well, what are you, you, you calling for a lockdown? No, you know what the number one fucking thing I would call for right now is an unprecedented invest, investment in indoor air filtration all around the United States, which by the way, China does. They did it long before COVID. We should be spending probably hundreds of billions of dollars to uh, provide cleaner air outside too, but particularly indoors, in schools, in sports stadiums, in you know very crowded spaces where tens of thousands of people go because studies have shown uh, as much as masks, uh, better filtration can actually kill not just COVID, but a whole lot of other things. And I answered that person that, and they said, oh, I've never thought about that. So it's just like, I, I think this topic, I, I don't even talk about it that much on air because it's just become, people can't, even listen objectively uh, to, to other views. It's, I blame social media and, and science does too, to a certain extent, you know, social sciences, because we're in our echo chambers. And if you are on Twitter, you are following folks that are, they're tweeting out a hundred and, you know, or 270 characters, 240 characters, sorry. So you don't really know you don't get any nuance, any substance. And what you're seeing a lot of times in those circles are the same people's content over and over again. So you, it's, it's a constant hit of confirmation bias, right? We can self-select everything from the social media that we engage with to the online media that we engage with. So if somebody sees an online someone that they like say one thing that they dislike they may cancel that that unsubscribed uh, yeah <laughs> and and it's it's one thing because they're able to we are right now able to curate the information that we get to such great detail that i think a lot of people are unaware of many things that can impact us or are impacting us right now. COVID is a great example. Um, I'm not pro mandate, but I also, I believe there's a little bit of nuance to that. I'm not for the vaccine mandates, but the people that are against mask mandates, which is kind of leading into something that you had on the list. I didn't know if we were going to talk about it or not. Um, so I won't, I won't uh, blow what we're about to talk about, but it, people that are, that are against um, vaccine mandates that are against, you know, max mandate, vac uh, mask mandates, the mask mandates kind of, I don't understand. I can see if it's not effective for COVID, but I just, I believe that there's not enough nuance and that people aren't looking to science and that it's about confirmation of bias. It's about people feeling like they have a little bit of an edge. They have some secret um, knowledge <laughs> that others don't have. Uh, 
I don't know how to work around it or how to make it better well, other than to just keep putting facts out there and sharing them as an organization, you know, and hopefully there's more news organizations that'll do that out there because our mainstream one, media hasn't, has not, has been biased as well. So one thing I know, um, I believe that there's going to be, uh, a real crisis with long COVID uh, in the next three to five years in this country. Uh, I believe the media won't cover it. Um, I think it's just going to be like the gun, you know, like uh, mass shootings in this country. It'll be a silent gener uh, a lost silent generation. Uh, it will be very similar. Unfortunately, if you have chronic fatigue syndrome or, you know, a lot of these kind of silent killers that, Sometimes people feel like uh, they're going insane because people look at them like, oh, you're a hypochondriac or you um, it's in your head or whatever. Fibromyalgia, if you experience that, um, you know, when people can't see physically pain, sometimes if you don't show a, a, a cast for a broken arm or, you know, ball, you're you're bald from chemo or whatever. A lot yeah. of times people disregard that. And where I'm going to make a point, even if it kills us on views, <laughs> I'm going to make a point to try and interview people. I, I have some requests out for people who are experiencing long COVID. The problem is it's very hard to schedule with them, understandably, because they don't know when they're going to be able to get out of bed. Literally. Uh, I was diagnosed with it. I have had too many strokes since. And I started bartending um, and I thought, oh, I can do it. I can bartend. And I ended up in the hospital. Um, I have what it caused is intracranial hypertension, which um, a neurologist as well as my brother who works under neurology, he's a he's a surgical technician. So he helps with brain surgeries. And um, they are he said that hospitals are seeing and my neurologist said the same are seeing a lot of excess spinal fluid. So that hasn't been confirmed. I'm not giving medical advice or, um, you know, it's. But there's there's a lot that we still don't know about long COVID, but there are markers out there that that are being identified, such as exhaustion, such as migraines, um, pain, a lot of pain, hard, hard to breathe. You know, folks uh, are talking about they can walk up a few flights of stairs and have to stop and rest because they lose their breath. So I, I agree with you. And I think that it's it's really impacted um, also the millennial generation um, as well. So I, I don't believe that it's just it's just boomers and, and older folks. I, I know a lot of younger folks that have these these types of symptoms, but it, it's it's painful and it's exhausting. And I, uh, I, I think you're right. And I, I think that ignoring this and not taking the humanitarian angle and demanding that our government starts helping uh, is, is the wrong take. Put aside like COVID for a second, right? I, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it used to be on the left that if there was like a, a mass disabling effect, a mass disabling event, that would kind of be a big story because one of the things we champion on the left, and I know everyone's got a different definition these days of who's on the left and who's not, if you consider yourself on the left, one of the big things we champion is the vitality of um, health care. Uh, you know, I, I wish more of it would be being healthy, but who's got the time these days to be healthy? We're all, you know, you're working two, three jobs and whatever. But the point is, when you have 
tens of thousands at this point. I mean, I remember I called John Hopkins on behalf of a friend a while back to try and get them in the long COVID um, program. It's one of the only hospitals in America with a long COVID wing. When I called, I think it was like a nine month wait for an appointment. When I called back, it had, it had bumped to over a year in over in just two months. So I think this is a much bigger problem than people know. Uh, I think it, the media is not going to cover it because part of the psychops behind COVID is over. It's just getting back to business as usual. Uh, professional sports, the concerts, the cruises, vacations, day-to-day business. I'm not, it's not either or. I'm not calling to lockdown society. I'm not calling, uh, you know, uh, for anything like that. But I, I, I do believe, especially during the winter when cases go up, there should be some mitigation efforts. I do believe, um, you know, the CDC is horrible. I might as well call it the Capitalism Defense Center. I, they they kind of they they meekly yeah. su- meekly suggest masks. Um, I believe uh, the very the, the people who have said, "Oh, they lied to us about transmission. They lied to us about this." They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Now there have been people that have lied, like Fauci, but there's also been like just changing science based on an unprecedented novel pandemic where we thought it was X or Y, but you learn through different variants and different things that your assumptions were wrong. That's also science. So it doesn't right. mean that everything is a lie and everything they told you is a lie. That's conspiracy. That's conspiracism. That is conflating being anti-establishment with being anti-science and, and anti-data. That there is, I mean, there's a large, and it's growing on the left, a large right. movement of, of anti, anti-science. And it, it does it, not make it, you, it does not make you, braver or more lefter to conflate believing that mitigation should be taken or believing, you know, in certain medication, you know, Paxlovid or things like that. Well, for the people saying, oh, you're big pharma, or or, do you believe that for diabetics who take life-saving insulin? Guess who makes fucking, guess who's price gouging and making a lot of money off of insulin? Big pharma. So, uh, have you spoke? Are, are you against insulin? Are, are you against, I don't know, uh, ivermectin was made by Merck. So there's just been a huge, I believe, and I think it's intentional, uh, distortion and conflation uh, between um, changing as you learn more about something. I think from the start, they should have never said, if you, if you get the vaccine, it will stop infection. Because how could they have known? How could they have universally known and they and, put and the- that there was no through line in that anyway because we were getting different information from the cdc from the world health organization from the nih you know the world health organization did not say that it wouldn't the nih took a little bit of a more moderate stance the world health organization had a, a stricter stance and then there were different types of the vaccine that were out there that were impacting people in different ways if you remember the johnson and johnson vaccine was recalled but i mean i agree with you with um i don't judge people who who are you know do the homeopathic medicine and and try those kinds of things but there are life saving medications there are necessary surgeries there are necessary treatments um right now people are suffering from things that they can't go to the hospital for insulin is something that you mentioned um folks that need um 
any kind of, any kind of treatment. I mean, even even dental care. Dental care is the I believe it was the sixth. I don't want to misquote. It's one of the top leading causes of death because it causes infection and then it it causes a sepsism, and then people have like cardiac arrest or other issues from not being able to get your something as simple as a dent going to the dentist office and getting your teeth fixed. And you're talking about something as complex as long COVID and doing the research on that and being able to look into it. If we naysay medicine um, from the leftist perspective, then what are we fighting for when we're fighting for Medicare for all? That's my point. And you don't even need to do the research. All you got to do is look on Twitter. Are all these people lying that they have long COVID? I mean, as a leftist, for example, uh, another issue. I, I don't, I don't want to make this go for three hours. Another reason, it, it's become tribal on the left, Ukraine and Russia. Well, I don't know. As a leftist, I thought we're supposed to be against innocent people being slaughtered. So when I speak out on Putin is killing innocent people in Ukraine, I, I have also said Russia has legitimate grievances. I get attacked as like, oh, you're pro-Ukraine. Well, you, you don't care? I mean, 40 people just got killed by a missile today in Ukraine. That doesn't mean I'm, I forget the Russians who were killed in the Donbass, but like, it's not either or. There is such thing called nuance, which has basically been a cancelable effect, uh, a, cancelable, a cancelable event on the left these days. But my point is, I'm pretty sure we should care if thousands of Americans are having long-term symptoms from a virus that is still pretty unknown in terms of its long-term effects. Uh, anecdotally, I got asthma from COVID. There's worse things, but I didn't have asthma before. I don't know if I get it again, if I'll have worse symptoms the second time. Uh, I might've had it more than once because I've been on the road uh, sometimes and that felt great. But I think the left in particular needs to start waking up. This is still a pandemic. Uh, it's not normal to have multiple waves of a contagious virus spreading around two, three times a year um, that people are getting sick with two, three times a year. Uh, this narrative of mild infection, well, the people I've talked to that have had it um, recently, it wasn't so mild, even those who have been vaccinated. Uh, and I know people that have long COVID and you, you, you shared, you've experienced that. So anyway, uh, yeah, well, well yeah, we should be demanding, we should be holding Big Pharma accountable. They're pieces of shit. I mean, I'm going to say it. Big Pharma sucks, man. I mean, you know, they brought us the opioid crisis. They, you know, rip people off. Hospitals rip people off. Yes, they do care that we don't need um, for those that can afford care. Um, they treat for things that you don't need. Um Everything is way overpriced and bloated, just like increasing um, the vaccines by 400 percent price gouging for things like insulin. It's it's everywhere. Big Pharma is a, a damn mess and we should hold them accountable. But what we should ca be calling for is nationalized health care oversight deprivatization, especially, I mean, when it comes to life-saving, anything that's life-saving or necessary treatment, instead of jumping to medicine is bullshit altogether, right? That So that leap from big pharma is corrupt, the establishment is messed up, to all of medicine and science is bad, 
the answer is in between. The answer is, you know, is, is socialized medicine. It's, it's, you know, um, and having oversight, it's, it's deprivatization of an industry that profits off our sickness, not our health. And by the way, like this idea that like, we should never believe anything else about uh, COVID because they lied to us. I mean, most vaccines you take do not 100% stop you from contracting the illness you're taking it from. People get the flu who get the flu shot. I mean, obviously what they said in the beginning about this vaccine ended up not being true. You could believe that they were intentionally lying or not. It doesn't really matter that it, it was not true, but it's also a changing virus that has had mutations and variants. So not everything, you know, not every time something turns out not to be true, it doesn't necessarily mean there were bad intentions or they intentionally lied to you. You're, you're trying to catch up with a, with a changing circumstances and um, a, a changing virus that was the novel coronavirus. So I got nothing. I don't have much nice to say about Fauci. I mean, he did lie in the beginning of this. They knew people should be wearing masks and they t said, don't wear masks because they had a shortage. What they should have said is we have a shortage. So we're, we're, reserving the masks for our first responders and healthcare professionals. And if you can't stay home, stay home. Cause we don't know how deadly this is or how dangerous this is. When they said masks won't help you, they were lying to you. And a lot of people died as a result of that. And the media obviously never took Anthony Fauci to task for that lie. But anyway, uh, we will, you know, as best as we can try to cover long COVID in particular, uh, as we go, we are built on memberships. So definitely, if it's within your means, join us as a member, statuscoup.com slash join. You could join us for 5 to $10 a month, and your membership goes to funding our on-the-ground reporting. And obviously, we're expanding with Zena, uh, Tina, Ron, um, Louis, uh, Kim, uh, who am I? Steve. Uh, got a lot of mouths to feed. Obviously, we pay people. <laughs> So please, please uh, support us if you can, statuscoup.com slash join. Uh, you might think five to 10 bucks a month doesn't, make, doesn't matter. It does, uh, particularly to fund the on-the-ground reporting, which is very expensive. Thank you. Thank you, Zaina. Thank you, Steve. Uh, and we'll be back here tomorrow at 5 o'clock Eastern uh, with Thomas Frank. Have a good night.